0: Be thou Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. My apologies for not putting up a podcast the last couple of weeks. Uh, one was a live that I put up and the other I was uh, out of town last week. So uh, unless you wanted to hear a wedding homily that I did, uh, I was not preaching last week. So, But I'm back this week and I'm grateful for your tuning in. And I hope this Advent has started off well for you. The text we are reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke. This is a story sometimes known as the Magnificat. It's a story of Mary singing a song of praise to God for the news about the birth that she is about to give. This is Luke 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So the summer before my senior year in college, I was struggling to find a job, the one that I thought I had lined up, uh, which was a great internship, fell through, and so then I was scrambling to find something to earn some money for the summer. I was living in the Des Moines area and ended up at a McDonald's uh, in a suburb of Des Moines. I felt a little sheepish because I was 21, about ready to graduate, and I thought I should be having a job that was a little bit um, weightier for my experience, for an experience that I would uh, desire, but there it was. So I started off on the grill, flipping burgers, all the things that one does when you are on the grill, and that includes working the breakfast shift, flipping pancakes. There was one particular moment uh, one morning when I was flipping the pancakes and I was still getting used to this new job and not doing the best job, but doing okay, I thought, And as I was flipping the pancakes, one of them broke. It didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. Uh, It would still taste good. I didn't drop it on the floor, but it didn't look like a perfectly round shape. My manager, the manager of that shift, who was about 16, came up to me and he said, well, what happened here? And I said, well, the pancake broke. And he took a long look at me. He said, can I ask you a question? And I had a feeling this was not going to be good. He said, if you were a customer, would you want to eat that pancake? And there was a part of me that thought, I don't think I would really care what the pancake looked like. If it tastes good, it tastes good. But I had to say, well, probably not. And so we tossed the pancake aside. And that whole experience has stuck with me. Mainly because the thing that really irked me the most was this was a kid who was five years younger than I was, and he was bossing me around. I've always, and I'm not saying this is necessarily a good thing, but I've always had issues with people younger than me who are in a superior position than I am. And I'm getting older as I get older and older. uh, That probably will be the case sometime soon where, in a sense, a supervisor or someone over me is younger than me. But at the time, it was a struggle to handle this. So... I thought about this week as I thought about this sermon series that we are calling Another Way to the Manger. You know, we talk about Advent as a time of waiting for Jesus, and at times we can get swept up in all of the decorations and the beauty of Christmas, all of which is good. Uh, At times, though, I think we tend to sanitize it, and we see just this cute little baby in the manger, and we forget that this was a real couple giving birth to a real child in a real time with real issues. It was born into an empire. So we want to take a look at what does that mean as we take a look at our own contemporary lives and contexts as well. So let's take a look at empire and what exactly empire means. Uh, One definition says that it is an extensive group of states or countries under a single supreme authority. Now, as I looked at other definitions that often will give you, of course, four or five different definitions for word, there is one consistency, or at least there's one consistent grouping of words. And here are some of them. Under a single supreme authority, controlled by one person or group, another, definition, controlled by one person or group. Fourth one, the end of the definition said, exercised by single authority. So we see a pattern here. There is power that is centered around one group or person. And that's what we have in the uh, time that Jesus was born. Jesus was born into the Roman Empire. You may have heard of the Roman Empire. Maybe you've seen movies about the Roman Empire. Uh, I'll put a map up on the web page that you can link to get a a sense of just how massive the Roman Empire. When Jesus was born, this was really just the beginnings of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire started roughly around 27 B.C. or B.C.E., before the Common Era, depending which way you measure it. And the first emperor was a man named Octavian. Who was also known as Augustus. We know this, we read in Luke 2, verse 1. So, not long after the passage that I read this morning, it says, You may know this familiar passage, in those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. So, Jesus is born into a time where there are real political things going on real government, real power issues, real laws. So it's important for us, I think, to know this context and to know just how radical this birth is and to have a sense of how radical what Mary said is too as well. So some of the it did a lot of some... Uh, kind of brainstorming, not brainstorming, it's a, a crash course in the Roman Empire this week. I knew a little bit, but uh, did some reading about it more this week, and I'll be talking more about the Roman Empire in the next few weeks. But one of the things about Roman society at this time is that it was, uh, so- society was extremely rigid, uh, rigid. So the social structure of, in the Roman Empire was based on things like heredity, uh, property, wealth, citizenship, and freedom. Not surprising, perhaps, it was based around men. Women were defined by the social status of their fathers, or husbands people had certain things that they wore so if you were in a higher social status you wore a certain color a certain kind of clothing if you were on the bottom of that list you wore certain clothes as well it went uh, there was a distinct order for at the very top were patricians or people who could be emperor down to the very bottom women were down on that very low part of this scale as well so we see here very distinct order, this is the way that our culture is. If you are in a particular uh part of that hierarchy, know your place, stay in that place, occasionally, you might be able to move up, but it was pretty rare, so it's important to kind of know that as we go into this. You do not go out of order, you know your place uh, and then you stay there so now let's take a look at what Mary said, or rather sings. In this passage that we read today, especially in verses 51 through 53. Now again, she says she's talking about God and what God has done by allowing Mary, who would have been at the very bottom of the social scale, she is the one who's going to give birth to Messiah, to Lord And this is one who will, that others will say that Jesus is the one that we follow, not Augustus, not any other emperors, which will get some other people in big trouble. But Mary is the one who acknowledges and knows it's pretty remarkable that God has chosen me of all people to give birth to this one person who will have such a radical impact on the Roman society at the time and obviously today as well. So in verses 51 through 53, Mary sings this. He has shown, God has shown strength with his arm. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Like a pancake, Mary is flipping these things, and that doesn't always make things comfortable. It doesn't make people comfortable, I should say. I can imagine that the very first people who are reading about this, or maybe... uh, Mary's cousin Elizabeth maybe was in the next door and overheard Mary singing this, or others, maybe, maybe Mary kind of sung this to herself, not just in this one time, but maybe during her whole pregnancy. And if she did, that had to make people very nervous. When people, the first Christians, were reading and telling the stories of Jesus, and if they told, well, here's what Mary sung. And then when they get to this part, and it's saying that we are, God is bringing the powerful down from the thrones, and God is lifting up the lowly. God is filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich away empty. On the one hand, for those first Christians, they may have felt some strength in this, some comfort in this, because many of them were lowly. But also, it had to make them a little bit nervous, because, again, in society at that time, there's a distinct hierarchy. You do not say things like, the powerful will be brought down from their thrones. That's going to get you nowhere and it'll get you in big trouble. And yet, this is what Mary is singing. And it gets to the radical nature of what she's saying in the context of the Roman Empire. She's flipping things around, which, as we read and know about the life of Jesus, It's what he consistently did, flip things around. We think that the order of life and society is this way, and Jesus constantly flipped things so that we would think of differently, saying that God actually has greater concern for those on the lower part of the social scale, not the higher part of the social scale. So we ask ourselves today when we read and hear this, are we the flipper or are we the flippy? So do we have contemporary examples when we talk about Empire? Do we have contemporary examples of what we're speaking of? And we do. In the fictional realm, and that's part of this sermon series as well when we talk about another way to the manger. We are taking a look at some fictional examples in our society today. And this week we're talking about the television show Empire which shows on the Fox network. Now, I must confess, I have not watched Empire, and so I'm going by what my colleagues have told me about it, uh, so, but I do think there's some interesting things about the show, as it's been told to me, that we can compare to this story. So the story of Empire is a family story. The founder and CEO of Empire Records, a man named Lucius Lyon, Empire Records is a hip-hop record label. Lucius got himself a start as a hip-hop artist with his wife, Cookie, and Cookie was his chief supporter. They had three children, have three children Andre, Jamal, and Hakim. The label Empire was initially funded with seed money, uh, actually, in a drug deal gone awry, and that landed Cookie, Lucius' wife, in jail for nearly 20 years. So now we are in the present day. Lucius discovers he has a disease that will render, render him crippled and incapacitated in a very short amount of time. So Lucius starts making plans to pass on Empire Entertainment to one of his sons and to share this with him. But what he does is essentially he pits his three sons against one another. And he has a favorite. Lucius favors Hakeem, who is a gifted rapper. Now Cookie in the show gets out of prison early and she visits all of her sons. And it's clear that she has a closer relationship with Jamal. Cookie has a strained relationship with Andre and Hakeem. Again, Hakeem is the rapper. Andre is more the corporate business type. But she gets along very well with Jamal. Jamal is a gifted singer and songwriter. Jamal happens to be gay. So when Cookie comes on the scene, she goes into Lucius's office and demands her share of the company's earnings. Lucius tries to buy her off. She refuses, threatens to go public about how Empire was originally funded, again with drug money. Now, as I noted before, Lucius favors Hakeem. And also, it should be noted, Lucius does not even is disgusted by Jamal, who is gay. At one point in the show, it shows a flashback of Lucius throwing Jamal in a garbage can because Jamal wore high heels. Cookie, as I noted, has very strong feelings toward Jamal, and she wants to see his gifts known. And so she works with him so that Jamal can come out and have his own career lucius catches wind of this and tells jamal don't you dare do that stay in the closet keep quiet if he does follow through with coming out he will be cut off financially so already we get hints here of how empire how power is working here in lucius's mind there is a hierarchy there's a way the things are going to be done Hakim will be the one who will be the lead jamal is supposed to just stay quiet know his place Now, Lucius is battling an American empire of sorts. Today, we know the American empire favors a particular kind of person, a person like me, straight, white, male. And so in a clip that I'm going to show in worship, and I'll put this on the podcast page as well, it talks about, Lucius has this interview, and he's talking about the music, and he says, our music is more of a narration of an oppressed people. You see, the Empire artists are telling the next generation that even though they live in a world where Trayvon Martin can be shot down like a dog and then he pauses because he can't go on anymore. So we have this really interesting thing. Lucius, in a sense, is fighting against what he perceives as an American empire that puts him in a different hierarchy, puts him in a place that is not at the top. And so he's fighting that. And yet in Lucius's own empire, he too is wanting to put Jamal in a place to keep quiet. So Lucius is trying to flip the empire. And yet he himself is also the one who's doing the flipping as well. Jamal needs to stay in the closet. So is there a real-life example when someone wants to flip the empire? Well, this week, this past week, we celebrated and commemorated the 60th anniversary of Rosa Parks refusing to sit in the colored section on a Montgomery, Alabama bus. That was December 1st, 1955. So I've talked about Rosa Parks. I like think Most of us know Rosa Parks' story. And it was interesting. So I was trying to think, who are, what are other examples of Rosa Parks, and so I just Googled another uh, Rosa Parks. And what came up was a woman named Claudette Colvin, and I think I had kind of remembered hearing about Claudette Colvin, but it wasn't until this week that it reminded me exactly who she was. So Claudette Colvin was a teenager in Montgomery, Alabama, and seven months before Rosa Parks made her statement, Claudette Colvin did the exact same thing. She got on the bus, the bus driver told her to get up, and sit in the colored section, and she refused. She said she'd paid her fair ears a constitutional right. Police officers came, put her in handcuffs, and arrested her. Her school books went flying off off her lap. At this time, it has just finished with Negro History Month, and at her segregated school, they had been studying black leaders like Harriet Tubman. And they were studying about women like Sojourner Truth, former slave who became an abolitionist and a women's rights act, uh, activist. So the class had been talking about injustices they were experiencing under the Jim Crow segregation laws, like not being able to eat at a lunch counter. And in, in an interview later, Claudette Colvin said that you couldn't even try on clothes. You had to take a brown paper bag, draw a diagram of your foot, take it to the store so that they would get the shoes that way. And so as Claudette Colvin was sitting on the bus that day, she said, "'My head was just full, too full of black history.'" And she said the oppression that we went through, it felt like Sojourner Truth was on one side pushing me down to stay seated and that Harriet Tubman was on the other side pushing me down and I couldn't get up. So here was Claudette Colvin who was trying to flip things, saying this is not the way it should be. And then, interestingly, not only that, later on in the same interview, they asked, well, why do you think Rosa Parks got all the attention and you didn't? And Claudette Kelvin said, well, the NAACP and other black organizations felt that Parks would be a better icon. She was an adult. She wasn't a teenager. She also said that Rosa Parks had the right hair and the right look. Her skin texture was the kind that people associate with the middle class. She she fit the profile. Now, for the NAACP and those leaders at the time, they were trying to be calculated about how are we going to do the right thing? And Rosa Parks is the best way for us to flip things. Claudette Colvin, at the time, was not. She was too young. She didn't have the right look. And yet she, too, was trying to flip things as well, to tell the empire, the white supremacist empire, that this is the, not the way it should be. It is really hard to be a flipper. It is hard for us in our society to take things that are a certain way when we are told that this is the way it should be. You need to stay in your place. You need to live a certain way. And for us to be inspired by Mary's song, to be inspired by Claudette Colvin and say, no, no, God doesn't want this. God instead is a God of those who flip things on their heads. So how does that work for you and for me in our society today? You may be in a place where you're thinking about uh, a political empire where you live in a city here in Chicago. We're constantly been talking and thinking about this. How is it that... A black man can be shot 16 times. There are many who feel like there's an empire of sorts in the police department today in Chicago. And so what are we doing to flip that around so that blacks are not stopped, so that blacks are not shot 16 times like that, so that uh, blacks can be treated equally in the eyes of the law? And so people are trying, in a sense, to flip that around. Maybe wherever you are in your own life, do you need to flip things around where you live in your family? People are expecting you. This is the way you should be. And yet there's something calling you to say, no, that's not the way it is. This is not what God wants. Or maybe you're like me. And you are one who are kind of at the top of the social scale. For me, I am middle class, white, straight male. I have plenty of funds. I have a comfortable life. Uh, This society works for me, and so maybe I need to be flipped. So the question that I ask myself, will I be humble enough to allow that to happen and to help others who are trying to flip things around as well? So wherever you are in your own life, in your own city, in your own society, to think and pray about, am I one who is called to flip things around Am I called to help others do that? Am I humble enough to allow things to be flipped so that maybe things are turned around and we don't quite have the power and the privilege that we think we should? It's a very hard thing to fight against and push against. And yet the song of Mary haunts me in a powerful way, saying that instead, God came to us in this humble way, that the powerful would be brought down, that the... Hungry would be filled with good things. And so even as we flip things around or try to and they don't come out just perfect, instead, I believe God is calling us to do just that. So flip, friends, and allow yourself to be flipped, knowing that for God, this is the way that our society should be. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to this podcast. And I pray that you would allow these words that hopefully are inspired by God to have some impact on you in your own life. As always, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Christian Kuhn and email chris at urbanvillagechurch.org. Always happy to reach out to you. I pray for a blessed, quiet, simple Advent in the midst of the chaos that surrounds us this time of the year. And in that quiet, may the song of Mary be in your hearts. May the peace of Christ be with you and we'll see you next week.